0: Hello, everybody. It's great to be back here again. My name is Gary Fowler, and I am the CEO, co-founder, and president of GSD Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in Santa Clara, California. I am the host of GSD Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech, where we get the most incredible people from around the world that come on and talk about their cool technologies, their great experience and a little bit about how they've gotten there. So it's with great pleasure that Hosni, who I met, by the way, from some connections from Stanford University, Zuwali, uh, comes to the show today. He is the CEO of Tech Tech Adaptica, which really creates a lifelong um, community of learners. He's a founder of VC Boots Camp, hosted in Silicon Valley, Toronto, Paris, and Johannesburg, of all places. He is a speaker and an innovation ecosystem consultant, and he pre- he's president of the Cooperation Council of Ontario. He is a consultant to the Stanford University Graduate School of Business and deeply involved in the uh, lead program there. So
1: it's with great pleasure that I bring Hosni on board. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Great to
0: have you today. So tell me a little bit about it. So you you know, you, you went to Stanford University, you went to Kedge. By the way, where is Kedge located?
1: Say that again, please. Kedge Business School. It says bachelor's. Oh, School. that's in France, as a matter of fact. Okay. Yeah, in the south of France, and it's actually thanks to them that I had a scholarship to go to North America.
0: So you went to you went to Kedge, then you went to University. Laval for your MBA in international development. And so what happened? How did you get into startups? And what really uh, pulled the trigger on you in the startup community?
1: Now, it's actually a funny story because um, when I had that scholarship from, so initially from Africa, go to France, scholarship in France to go to North America, September 11 happened. And nobody comes in, nobody goes out. I was supposed to go to the States. And then I fell back on Canada, you know, mm-hmm. Which I discovered an amazing country, by the way. And after that, I had to quickly evolve within um, this new ecosystem of business, tech, startups. So I had to really familiarize myself. And one of the first jobs that I found was actually uh, being a teacher. So I became a teacher for kindergarten, grade one, grade two, grade six, grade seven. And it, it really opened my eyes on uh, how much innovation that ecosystem needed. How I, much? Awesome. I didn't see that
0: on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, but I, I had to put it all. I mean, I love that though because that's great, man. You have to have some compassion to deal with, uh, you know, children that are young
1: like that. Kindergarten, I was like a giant. So for those who don't who who've never seen me face to face, I'm six foot three, uh, black man. Imagine me in kindergarten. I mean, and and you know, some people tell me that I look like a, a smaller version of Dwayne Johnson. So, you know. There you go. I'm a giant in that kindergarten uh classroom. It was hilarious, but it, it showed me a lot of things about education that really needed we needed to approach it. You know, we've been talking about education for you know the 21st century century education for the past 20 years but it hasn't really changed much
0: but okay so you did that how long did you do that how long are you were teaching
1: uh, uh, I did that I did that for 4 years while opening a company called voila learning at that time and a non-for-profit so i was never into like jumping directly into the startup world i wanted to keep some kind of revenue you know with a salary and keep learning into this you know, about this this ecosystem called education. In the meantime, set up an online educational platform that we need to build from scratch. And we had to test it in uh, out of all places. We went to the poorest country in the world, Somalia. We said, if we succeed in Somalia, we'll be able to succeed in the States anywhere else. Okay, so how in the world do you go to Somalia? You're not from Somalia, where are you originally oh. from? No, I'm actually from North Africa, very different than Somalia. Um, so I have to go, so I have three passports. I have an African passport, Tunisian, a French passport and a Canadian passport. And when you go to Somalia, you try to put your French passport and your Canadian passport on the side. You know. So I was traveling with my Tunisian passport, which was a, kind of a, a friendly country, a friendly approach. Um, and again, at that time, it was um, you know a torn country, so you don't really go there with the diplomatic uh, approach. I remember French ambassador and Canadian ambassador said, "If anything happens to you over there, you're on your own." So I stayed there for two months trying to. <laughs> it's true. That's not a good send off, is it? I know. I know. They said, "We can not come and get." You you. Know anything about it, right? <laughs> i was like don't worry it's fine so i went there and um i I remember and i was like be smart about it you're not going to go through the um diplomatic channel i partnered actually and i made friends with uh, a chief of a tribe who said hey you'll be under my protection you'll be basically within our tribe name everything was so cool so chill.
0: chill wait wait a second so you go over there and, you, and this is when they have the Somali pirates and everything. They're going out and grabbing ships,
1: right? Oh, yeah, exactly. And honestly, I talk to these people as well. And the story is actually more complicated than that. These people are actually fishermen. But because it's a torn country, there's a lot of Japanese, Russian ships dumping a lot of nuclear waste in their beaches. And they have no fish. So they see these big ships you know, passing by no fish nothing to eat let's hijack them but that's a totally different topic oh my god that's unbelievable oh yeah yeah they are fishermen, fishermen. fishermen. I can't I can't the somalian pirates yeah well, you're talking to them how were they when you were dealing with them Haas? to be honest i mean i don't want to sound like too idealistic or whatever but they are the closest thing from robin uh robin hood that i've ever seen first of all when they get a ransom of two million dollars. They can't put it in Switzerland. They can't put it in the USA. They don't have a connection. They don't have the network. They don't have the knowledge. They are fishermen. What do they do? They share it with everybody around. So they are loved over there. Not only these big ships don't dump their, you know, their nuclear waste on the beaches of Somalia. But on top of that, these guys are actually getting the ransom and sharing with everybody just to make people's life a little bit more bearable. So, yeah, everyone's um oppressor is someone else freedom fighter you would see them coming out of these high-speed boats right boarding these ships and
0: taking them over
1: right yeah absolutely now you see you know we all seen captain phillips you know and all looks like very dramatic like that but at the end of the day we're talking about people who have a lot of kids who have nothing to eat anymore Mm -hmm. so you know and you have extreme wealth passing by at the horizon day in, day out, you know, so Boy,
0: that's amazing. Was it dangerous for you?
1: Actually, no. If I followed the diplomatic, um, uh, you know, approach, it would have been very dang- dangerous, for sure. Never stayed at a hotel, always stayed with the tribe, um, protected, played soccer with the kids. There's a lot of videos actually online about it, you know, national news, was talking about it. But it was really funny because even on the way there, it was a different experience. So I flew from Toronto to Paris, on Air France. Great plane, nice. Air France all the way to Dubai. Great plane. In Dubai, this, oh sorry, Abu Dhabi. In Abu Dhabi, they sent us to Terminal 2. Terminal 2, it's basically the terminal for all the dodgy countries, Afghanistan, somalia name it they are there so all of a sudden you go from abu dhabi super rich to terminal two what is going on like, this is a taste of second world second world a third world country and then i had a little bit of a doubt when i saw you know these old planes that are a little bit leaned you know like this like 19- yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. They no were- painting.
1: yeah exactly no paint on the on the plane i saw the pilot in shorts smoking right next to the plane. He was Russian. He took a ladder, and he got in his plane on the ladder. I was like, what is going on? What's happening? <laughs> we eventually had to be escorted to the, to, the, you know, to, the, to the plane. We went to the plane. And I swear to God, the, the chairs were actually screwed. You know, uh, It wasn't the original chairs of the plane. There was a guy near the exit uh, door holding the exit door. I was like, why are you holding it? He's like, oh no, don't worry, it's fine, you know. And he takes a cigarette and starts smoking inside the plane. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> you know? yeah. So on the way there, they prepare you for a different world, you know. And um, but either way, at the end, honestly, it was very interesting because what we've done is we actually set up a system. I negotiated internet with local providers, tablets with India, and we hooked teachers from France. North America to teach these kids, um, different numeracy and literacy. And we said, if we make it happen there, we can make it happen everywhere. that was like 10 years ago. So how did
0: you decide? I mean, so what did you say to yourself? How did you come up and say, I just want to go to Somalia? You know what I mean? Or. Why didn't you say North Korea or some other place? You know, why did you say... How did they come up?
1: I mean... I it's- made some research, Gary. You no, know, I made some research. And um, at the time, uh, the UN was uh, naming Somalia hell on earth for kids from 0 to 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you got to go there. You got you. You can't leave this planet, this earth, without knowing what it is to grow up in Somalia. Yeah. So, I mean... Dude, I mean when I saw you know in one of the poorest country in the world I saw a beggar who is the poorest person in a poorest country in the world Before that you don't know what's really an unbearable life I stopped to see that beggar it was a lady you know she was all covered and she had the baby in her hands and there was actually some kind of cloth right next to her so I was surprised. I was like, what's in the cloth? Is that a cat or what is it? So she said, oh, no, she takes it. It was another baby face down on the sand. And she said, "What?" she says, here, take him. Until you live that, you don't understand what is desperation, what desperation is. And then you start understanding why terrorism, why violence, why piracy. Now you start understanding those things.
0: Yeah, no, I got it. That's that's amazing. And and so what's important for those people? You know, so you're you're dealing with and living with them. What was the most important thing? If you could say three, you know, things that you saw that you don't see in Canada or, or the US, what are, what do you see that's that's different? And I don't mean about just being poor, but how do they act towards one another and what do they care about? What's important for them?
1: So they're obviously very much more um Sorry, I have a baby yelling on the background here. No, that's okay. Uh, they are um, definitely more community oriented. Um, they give a lot of value to the tribe and to the tribe legal aspect because, you know, government is trying its best. Um, they share, they share a lot, but it's true. What does that, that mean, are, Hus? What is sharing mean to them? So basic needs, you know, they understand that they are stronger together, but again, they do that with their own understanding of life because they don't have. Um, there's some kind of a. There, there's some kind of a cultural social misery. Why? Because since birth, you know, they don't have access to the outside world. Really, it's almost like a little bit North Korea. It would be the same kind of thing. It's kind of under, It's kind of hard to understand. That there's a world out there and things are not necessarily how the religious leader has been talking about. I mean, when I came and I was like, hey guys, so I'm half Muslim, half Jewish, they've never seen a Jewish guy before. You know what I mean? Some of the kids, you know, just like still have these pictures of, you know, evil people, evil white people who just want to take everything from us. So I was like, so anyway. there's both sides and obviously you know that's why i wanted to connect them with teachers everywhere in france in israel in, in north america in england and you know the beauty of things is when you see students from a jewish school in canada helping students from a muslim school in somalia and now you understand the power of education
0: And how did it work? How did they help each other? What did they do? What did
1: the students in Canada do? So that was 10 years ago. So we were using some kind of a Skype type of thing. All right. So now what we did is something much more different. Everybody has an avatar, has a virtual campus and with the avatar, they can activate their camera, of course, but having avatars, it's much better than a video conference because now you can have 200, 2000 people talking to each other, running into each other. And you multiply these positive interactions among uh, students. This is what it is to be part of a community of learners. I believe that initially when we started it with a video conference type, it's great with a small little you know, five people. But if you want to multiply these interactions, you need some kind of an avatar system where everyone, almost like a video game, can come close to anyone else and have a chat about this, about that. So we run, now what we do is we run scavenger hunts teamwork. Um, there's competitions all the time between students from different countries, which is a really cool thing. You know, it's called Tech Adaptica. And we're helping, obviously, all these organizations adapt to uh, adapt education to tech. And yeah, it's interesting. So how did they help? So
0: what grade were the kids in in Canada? And what grade were the kids in students in Somalia? And how did, well, give me an example. What did they do that helped each other?
1: So we basically go to schools that already exist, and we give them tablets, and we tell them, hey, you're responsible for the tablets. And by the way, we've done that in Somalia, but we've done that in Ghana, we've done that in Haiti, we've done that in Nicaragua. So we've tried different uh, aspects of it, but there's some correlation between all these countries. So we need a school in-house, or a school in the country that are actually gonna, we're gonna trust them with the tablets, with the internet connections, and so on and so forth, okay? Once we do that, the students go to school, and instead of having only one teacher, they're gonna have different teachers for different students. You connect them, depending on the time, depending on the agenda, you connect them with a classroom in Canada, private school uh, or public schools, where once a day for one hour, the students will basically tutor them. The students in Canada- Oh,
0: that's cool. And so, in math
1: and English? Or- oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Math, English, you know, and so, not only are we helping the kids uh, in Somalia, in Haiti, in uh, Ghana, and so on and so forth, but also the students who are in high school or middle school in Canada, US, and France, actually, uh, they have their community hours um, signed through that. So that's why they were also doing it, because they're like, hey, this is so cool. I met this kid you know, called Mohammed in Somalia. I taught him how to do fractions. And I got all my community hours through that. And I think the, so this obviously was a very small pilot project that we multiplied in different countries, as I said, Haiti, Nicaragua, and so on and so forth. But that really showed us the way for the future of education. Education in the future, we need to create community of learners. If you don't create community of learners, you create pockets of isolation. And that's what the biggest problem of online education right now is the isolation. We need to eliminate the distance in distance learning and that's why we think that we found the right uh, approach with this avatar based virtual campus now that's cool
0: I, lo- I just it's amazing so you're half jewish and half muslim you're the first person i've ever met that's ever said that wow. i, I don't know anybody i mean that's amazing and, and to be honest my son is in
1: a catholic school just to tell well, you,
0: you and so yeah. how is it you know my uh, grandmother's from north africa by the way
1: oh so she's, uh egyptian uh-huh. but
0: uh and my grandfather's Greek, so I know a little bit about it. But it's like it's fascinating, you know. And so, which world do you live in, Hoss? Wh- which where where are you at any one point in time? Do you consider yourself Muslim, Jewish? You consider yourself a mixture. What what do you consider yourself?
1: Well, you can't help you can't ask me to choose between my mom and my dad, right? Yeah, so- no,
0: I mean, it's just interesting, you know. <laughs> I suspect depending on the community you're in, you know, it's in- it's fascinating actually. That- I mean,
1: to be honest, I believe that. I'll tell you one thing very quickly, you know, one day I was a little bit lost identity-wise in that matter because you're never Muslim enough for the Muslims, you're never French enough for the French, you're never this enough for that, for that. So I went to south of France in a monastery just to camp, you know, and there's an island, there's only one monastery with 30 monks who sing Gregorian chants. And I go in, and once I went in, there's one table, two chairs, and a beautiful ray of light that passes through. There's an Italian monk who passes by and he says what can you do what can i do for you my son i recognize his italian accent he was speaking french and i told him well israel palestine this that you know what is this hell and i was going with run genocide and all that stuff he listens to me but he really listens to me and look at me in the eyes this whole time and then he drops a bomb in my life he says you see my son a tree that falls will always make more noise Than a forest that grows. Mm -hmm. He stands up and he leaves. I was dumb at that time. I didn't really get it. It didn't really sink in. But I stayed free. That's great. I love
0: that, man. And then I
1: I decided that, yes, I can focus on that tree that falls, that makes a lot of noise, or that entire forest that grows. Yeah, no, that's right. So for me, Catholic, Christian, Muslim, Jew, we are humans we have a lot of work to do not only for only humans but all the beings you know we mistreating um earth we mistreating animals we mistreating a lot of things around us i believe that education is rooted in the change we need to set up the 21st century education and provide great education to as many people as possible if we want to have these great changes in the future
0: yeah, no, I agree. By the way, somebody just said that your statement was profound, the monk statement. So we got some uh, comments from the audience. Uh, so it's it's great. Okay, let's go down through. So tell me a little bit about Tech Adaptica. I know you you showed me a presentation some time ago. Tell me a little bit about that, and then I want to talk about some of the stuff you're doing at Stanford. And and uh, but tell. Let's talk about Tech Adaptica.
1: Yeah. So. For Tech Adaptica, we wanted to reinvent human interactions online. Video conferencing is great, but video conferencing, most of the time, like right now, we have a lot of a um, big audience. But the audience, I'm not speaking with them. I'm speaking at them. And this is the biggest problem of online education. There's a lot of isolation. What we wanted to do is to create a virtual reality campus, almost like a real campus, like a real conference, where everyone has an avatar and can use their microphone to talk to anyone else. You can click on any avatar, see what they look like, activate your video. But by multiplying these uh, opportunities for interactions, you, you, you really um, promote what's missing in online education, which is collaborative learning. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, teachers are just speaking at people, and there's no interactions within the audience. What we wanted to do is actually create this collaborative learning and bring it to online education. And that's why our motto is we eliminate distance in the distance learning. Um, So yeah, this virtual campus is a huge hit, you can imagine, thanks to or because of uh, COVID-19. A lot of universities had to shut their doors from one day to another, and it forced them to um, execute on what they've been talking about for the past 20 years, 21st century education. That's the biggest problem. We've been talking about 21st century education for over 20 years, and it took us a COVID-19 crisis to move us forward. And I can tell you that the big winners of, of, of this COVID crisis will be education worldwide. Because if you can provide a collaborative learning tool that help organizations, universities provide the best quality education to as many people as possible, especially on phones. You change the world. Forty-one percent of Africans are under the age of fifteen today. Forty-one percent. That represents eight hundred million students. Yeah, you and there's have... one point three billion people. So it's yeah. a huge, huge community. What about? So how do
0: they do it though, Hass? I mean, here's the thing: you need to have a computer, right? So you yeah. go. You did this thing in Somalia, but what about you know? So we we work in Kenya, we work in um, Ghana, Zambia, Johannesburg. I mean, all over um, Lagos. So what do you, what do you do? How do you get the you know? One thing you need to have something in your hand, right? Part of it is or a, a smartphone at least. Do what do you, how do you do that? Because it's got to be a you know double edged sword, right? You got to
1: have the technology to make it work. So the. Big chunk of our work right now, because we set up the technology, we set up the organization, it's, you know, viable operationally and financially, which is great. The big chunk of our work is to actually provide a solution for mobile. The reason why mobile is because not everybody will have a computer in the future, but everybody has a smartphone. And you can see a lot of things happening in Africa and South America where payments are being done online through smartphone. They're using it a lot. 5G multiplied with uh, the processing power of, of cell phone or smartphones, that will play in our favor in the next five years. So this is the key, the name of the game. The name of the game is to make uh, our technology as light as possible and suited for mobile. Now once we do that, we are basically the technology and the design firm that help organizations, universities, colleges all around the world provide best quality education to as many people out there. Through our platform, you create communities, massive communities of learners where people can learn. And we inspire a lot uh, with gaming and dopamine. Um, but we use it, this dopamine loop system, we use it for education as opposed to use it to you know to get people hooked on Candy Crush. Mm-hmm. So this is where we are. And I think we're on the right path for that. Uh, Tech Adaptica is um, is doing is doing really good. Uh, we won many prizes and um, And yeah, we had over three million dollars on um, on prizes and grants which really made us uh, Delay that fundraising phase where we need to leave uh, any equity wow, that's, that's fantastic. So and how is it now? How's your uh, monthly
0: recurring revenue? How's business?
1: It's actually going really well. Uh, right now, it's actually going really well. I know we are about to sign massive clients. So initially, we built this, not necessarily for COVID. Initially, we built this to counter the impact of artificial intelligence on the job market. I explain myself. AI will disrupt the job markets. Millions of people will lose their job, and will have to be retrained in a faster, more fluid way. We decided to create a simulation campus where all these simulations can be done and all this training will be done for adults. COVID-19 comes and just puts that all aside. All of a sudden, we become a big hit, not only for uh, companies, but also for conferences, um, large uh, universities, small uh, campuses, um, elementary schools. So now we had all these um, these revenue uh, models that we weren't really uh, expecting. So we had to adapt. And it took us a year to really adapt well and try to um, um, try to exploit you know, that, that system that we had in, uh, in mind. In terms of revenue, we're pretty good. But it's true that at the end of the day, what we want to do is to put it on the web, because right now, you need to download it on your computer. There's no other competitor that's been on the web so far. It is an extremely hard thing to do, but we need it on the web. And we need it on mobile. Once you do that, once you do that, you yeah, you basically able. Depending on the structure and the architecture you set up, you are able to revolutionize education for for good. You know, at the end of the day, remember, um, we raised in in universities, we raised tuitions fourteen hundred percent in the last few years, for really. Uh, not much change you know at the end of the day when you go to a classroom or a campus it's uh it it feels the same um it it smells the same so education had it coming to be honest it had it coming they were very slow at evolving and now a small campus let let's just say take a look at stanford for instance 7000 undergrads that's what stanford, stanford can accommodate 7000 undergrads it's not that much well imagine now Stanford being able to accommodate the 7,000 undergrads, but they can also accommodate 70,000 other students worldwide who will learn from the best and apply their skills in their home country to rebuild. Now you change the world completely.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a lot about education and through this digital transformation over the last year plus, you know, we've had to adapt and we've had to do things a lot differently than we've ever had to do before. I remember McKinsey said that companies were going to do the digital transformation over the next 10 years, 93% of them, but we've had to do it very, very quickly to be able to uh, conform and to be able to continue business. So it's incredible what you've done. I mean, at the beginning of this pandemic, we saw people that uh, students that couldn't go to school, they had to learn how to uh, learn differently, Zoom, et cetera, and this, you know, we, these hyper personalized approaches and collaborative approaches that allows students to be able to share and and at the same time learn at their own level. The next level is, you know, to be able to have those AI tools to give you exactly what you need. So, if you're auditory or visual, it helps you learn better and differently, and then at the same time making it feel i know when we looked at your your tool um so it was uh, so tech adaptica in terms of being able to look at a, a classroom and see where you're sitting there and the professors in the front that's pretty cool i like that at least it shows you who's in there and and how you can relate to them and it brings the virtual world to the real world and it's really an amazing experience i love the story hosney about the um about somalia that's a uh, you know, it's amazing. You're a brave soul. I've been in those kind of situations, not quite Somalia, but some uh, interesting places around the world myself. And, you know, people are pretty much the same. And if you care about them, they show the love back for the most part uh, to you, because it's about, you know, do you really have the compassion and caring to be able to help people to be able to make a dent in the universe, wherever it is. I mean, we're doing it right now and all through Africa, you know, we see the same things you do, you know, and and when it's all said and done, You know, the idea of uh, our planet is to be be able to share and to get along rather than to uh, be diametrically opposed. So How can we work together? We got a lot of challenges. We got, you know, 8 billion people on the planet. By the end of this century, we'll have 13. By 2050, we're going to have to double the food supply in order to be able to feed the people on the planet. You know, we've got to reduce the amount of farm animals. Because there's so much, there's challenges to the, uh, right? 26% of the pollution is from animals. So we've got to do it. We've got to think differently. And and, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, One last thing. Tell us a little bit, because I know you asked me to speak at uh, Stanford University to the uh, uh, postgraduates. Tell us a little bit about the LEAD program and and what you're doing there. And then uh, we'll wrap up.
1: So the lead program was really cool, actually. It is still honestly an amazing amazing thing. So Stanford has before the lead program has never been really on the um, on the on, on the online kind of online education kind of phase. And they have these small little programs um, right at the time where I finished the uh, virtual schools in Africa. So I started to go on national news and they started this little thing. So. We reached out to each other, and um, I went through, I was one of the first who went through their online executive lead program, which was basically an online program for executives all over the world. It was a small little thing, little hush-hush, just very experimental. but stanford and myself along the way we have learned so much from how people learn online how to create a community of learners mm-hmm. to connect with all these people and right now it is the biggest program at stanford we're talking yeah, about six years, later. six years later it is the biggest program at stanford not only financially viable but also creating a lot of goods all around the world because all these executives now are connected with executives all from all over the world and they're using their skills that they learned from Stanford the heart of the Silicon Valley in their home country which is to be honest amazing really amazing we've seen amazing things coming out of uh, coming out of this uh, lead program at Stanford and I'm, I'm very happy to be uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, course facilitators over there um, amazing team amazing innovators um, TechAdaptica has definitely learned a lot from what Stanford has uh, has put together the lead program and all the uh, executive um, executive online programs
0: no it's great by the way I'll be back out in uh, Palo Alto in two and a half weeks my first time back in uh, a year over a year so I'm gonna dust my car off out of the garage and uh, go back out so if there's anything we need to, anybody you think would be interesting to meet uh, let me know it would be great'd love to you're doing a great job. Uh, how can people reach you in some closing thoughts?
1: So they can go to um, Hosni Zawali or uh, on LinkedIn. Obviously, I don't know if we can put the uh, LinkedIn um, the LinkedIn link online. or they can go to TechAdaptica. here. I'm just going to put the LinkedIn that would be easier the LinkedIn link, and please reach out to me if your goal is also to change the world through education. I know it sounds a little crazy, but every disruption started with a crazy thought. Um, please reach out to me. And otherwise, you can go to adaptica.tech. Here, adaptica.tech. And it's on the chat. That's the website of Tech Adaptica.
0: No, that's great. Well, I want to say thank you so much for taking time in your busy schedule. It's great seeing thank you again. Congratulations. You're inspiring and and uh, you know doing the right thing is really important in life. So all my audience out there, do the right thing. Has lead by example. Uh Huss is an amazing person. And um, so I'd like to say we'll be back on Thursday with the next edition of GST Presents, Silicon Valley AI and Tech. My name is Gary Fowler, and I'd like to thank my entire team for making GST Presents Possible. Thanks, Haas. I appreciate it. And I'm honored to have you on the show. Thanks for your inspiring story. And audience, go out there, get them, stay safe, and see you soon. Thanks again. Bye-bye.